0: or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I have such a good episode for you today, but before we get started, I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Forager Project, and Forager is spelled F O R A G E R. Now, this company is a family owned, 100% organic plant-based food company in California. They are dedicated to making the world a better place than they found it now. I don't know if you remember, I've shared it before, but a few years ago, we had to go dairy-free in our family, and it is so awesome to have dairy-free alternatives to yogurt and sour cream, and this company knows how to do it. They have dairy-free yogurt, kefir, milk, sour cream, they use their hero ingredient organic cashews for the creamiest base for all of their products, and let me tell you that yogurt is creamy and my kids love it. I love it. My husband loves it. So Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food, but they're equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. So they want to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They have provided voting resources and information for you at www. ForagerProject.com slash vote, and that is spelled com forward slash vote. Or you can follow them on social media at Project. Definitely go check them out. Cultivate democracy, vote. Now let's get into today's show. Today's guest is my good friend Heather Creekmore. She is a writer and a speaker, and she brings hope to thousands of women each week, inspiring them to stop comparing and start living. Her first book, Compared to Who, encourages women to uncover the spiritual root of body image issues and find freedom. Her new release, The Burden of Better, offers women a journey into the depths of God's grace to find a way off the treadmill of constant comparison. Heather has been featured on Fox News, Huffington Post, Morning Dose, Church Leaders, For Every Mom, along with dozens of other shows and podcasts. But she's best recognized from her appearance as a contestant on the Netflix hit show Nailed It. Heather and her fighter pilot turned pastor husband, Eric, have four children and live in Austin, Texas. So Heather, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Erin. As always, fun to talk to you.
0: Yeah, and you know, and last time we talked, I think it was, gosh, like December or January, and we kind of hinted at this book that you had brewing, but you know, nobody ever knows when release dates will be, but you you have really good news about your book. As of yesterday, it hit Amazon in quite a storm and
1: ended up on its first day of release being number, what number was it? We only made it to number four in the categories that we were trying to get to, but hey, you know, it was, It was a big release day for books. Yeah, yeah, Not only number four. Number four out of how many other books were released? Oh, well, so we were numbered like 2,200 out of all of the books, all 8 million books on Amazon. We made it to number (laughs) 2,200. So, you know, that's not too shabby. And then in the the categories that the book is in, it made it up to number four out of all the new releases. So it was a good day for the book. It was a good day for the burden of better.
0: It's amazing, but okay, so I find it ironic, though, that we are talking about, the book is called The Burden of Better, mm-hmm. and here we are starting off the conversation, <laughs> talking about how your book could be better, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, only number four, so let's dive right into yeah. the whole purpose behind this book. You, you previously wrote Compared to Who, which a lot of people loved, I loved it, so what is the inspiration behind this book? and it's
1: like level two of comparison, right? Right, right. Well, so compared to who was really about body image. And that was the message that I wanted, I wanted to encourage women to stop comparing their bodies. And then I had a lot of feedback. I'm like, hey, well, what about all these other things we compare in our lives? Like, you know, we compare parenting, or we compare our homes, or we compare our jobs, or we compare how many Instagram followers we have. If you're kind of in, you know, the social media influencer business, like that's a big thing, right? And and so there's all these other things we compare. Can you speak to that? And so I was like, absolutely. Like, yeah, I want to tackle it. And then I was like, whoa, do I know how to tackle that? I mean, because, very much like just what I was, like we we're saying, there's very much a part of me that like, it's just, it just comes out, right? Like you just, you want to do the best, right? Like you want to make a mark, you want to, you know, make a splash. And I mean, as an author, I feel like it's part of my responsibility to help my little book child do well, right? So, so there's this there's this very reasonable aspect to to comparison and the drive to do better. But then there's this unreasonable or, as I would like to say, burdensome aspect to better. And so that line is very fuzzy and very subtle, but there is a line there. And so this book kind of talks about how do you know when you cross the line, What is really going on with, with comparison, when we compare ourselves, what's really going on neurologically, what's really going on in our hearts when we compare ourselves, and how do we fix that?
0: Yeah, and you talk about in the very beginning of your book, it might be the very first chapter, you talk about the ers, how we want to be smarter, we want to be thinner, which of course you covered in <laughs> compared to who, we want to be, uh, what are some of that, funnier, we want all of the errs, right, and that is What you go over in this book. And I think what's interesting is we have so many books, especially, I will say, in female self help books, where it's like, you can do whatever you want to do. The sky is the limit. And I think in some ways it almost fuels that, like, oh no, I'm not doing enough. I should be writing a book. I should be, you know, doing TED Talks. I should be hosting my own conferences or or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's interesting how some of those books, even though it's inspiring us to. To go one step further, it almost can make it more obsessive, and so I think that that's what I've loved about your book is that it's it can become a burden,
1: right? And and something always has to give, right? And I think that for a lot of us, and well, even I mean, sadly, just watching what's happening to some of the authors that have been giving us that message of just go for it, like their marriages are falling apart. And I don't know the situation. I'm not trying to judge the situation in any way, shape or form, but I think it's very clear (laughs) that you can't chase it all. Like something has always got to give. And when we get caught up in chasing those errors or, Oh, for me, so this is embarrassing to confess to all of your zillion listeners that I used to chase the, not just the er, I used to chase the est, est. So you were an English teacher, you get this, right? So these are all comparative, well, better is a comparative adjective, but, but there's the superlatives and you can probably explain it better than I can. But, but if it ends in an E-S-T, as a superlative, it's the top rank, right? It's good, better, best. And when my husband used to give me compliments, if he said, you look pretty, I was like, are you serious? (laughs) Pretty? Great. That's awesome. And so I, at one point, actually told him, like, dude, it needs to be pretty there needs to be an EST. You've got to use the superlative. Like, if I'm not the best, then like, we've got a marriage problem. And I was so stuck. I was so ridiculous, Aaron. I just really was. Uh, but I was, I mean, and really the truth is I was just looking for him to affirm things in me that I just hadn't worked out with the counselor and thought he could affirm appropriately and he just wasn't equipped to do that. So that was just a, that was a struggle in our marriage. But, um, but tying that back to the ers, Yeah, I think a lot, we chase the errs or we chase the s and and they never satisfy and especially not those errors, right because you could always be a little pretty er you could always be a little funny er you could always be a little more successful you could there's there's never like I like to say in the book, there is no top rung on comparison ladder you just keep climbing and climbing and climbing and it's it's futility
0: at the end of the day right yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and one of the things I like the most about the book, like with Compared to Who, is that you share so many personal stories that go into how you have struggled with this personally and how you're writing because you've struggled with it too. You're writing from the heart. And one thing that you mention at the, oh, I'm, I'm going to find it, um, at the beginning is that that really popular quote <laughs> that we hear a lot, uh, Stephen Furtick, it, he said, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And that's, like you say, that's a fine statement and there's some truth, but that's, and, and maybe it could be encouraging, like, oh yeah, I'm just seeing everybody's highlight reels, but why isn't that good enough?
1: Because we're seeing more than everyone's highlight reels, right? Yeah. Like if I see a picture of you on Instagram where you look really awesome at the beach, then that's that's one thing. But if I run into you at the beach, like I can compare apples to apples, right? Like I'm not always seeing the highlight reels. You know, if my struggle in my home is over my child rebelling, and you're sharing your struggle in your home, which is over your child eating too many Cheetos, like, I'm going to still feel like I'm losing that contest, right? I feel like, I I think, I think Furtick had good intentions. I mean, I can't, I don't know his motives. I think he was trying to free people from comparing themselves online. But I think what he did instead was say, don't compare yourself to people online. Just compare yourself to everyone else. <laughs> or, or he's saying in some way that comparison is, is tolerable or healthy or allowable. And, and it's just, it's just not helpful. It really doesn't help us um, help us really be free to enjoy our own lives, right? Yeah. When We're trying to see how our lives measure against those around us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I think that that was, that's early on in the book. And that was one of the first things that drew me in. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. I haven't thought about it that way because we see a lot of like these really cute quotes about not comparing, but nobody really gives a solution. <laughs> nobody really digs deeper into the root of things, which you do. And then another thing that you bring up that I really appreciate is you talk very openly about some health struggles that you've had and how you have, you know, gone on a journey even through nutrition um, to help address these health struggles. And I, you know, I relate to that. I have so many times found that, Oh, well, I can just solve this issue with eating this way or doing this or finding like that optimal health, being healthy and curing myself or whatever it is. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about, about, that whole thing
1: yeah, absolutely, well, so I was diagnosed right after I turned forty with Hashimoto's, and so a lot of people in the functional medicine community you know believe that if you are Hashimoto's you're better off being gluten free probably dairy free as well um, and so like I went all in <laughs> with gluten free and dairy free and you know all of the autoimmune protocol diets and all the things right. And I'm really for years just trying to find the perfect diet, right? Or what can I do to make my diet better? All the while, candidly, like struggling because I was hungry. (laughs) Because there's not a lot to eat after you cut everything out. Um, And and I wasn't satisfied and I was kind of grumpy. But still, the most important thing was chasing my health right? Like how can I have ideal health? And I think I started to believe because I was reading so much and taking so much in and I'm, I'm a constant learner. So I I love to learn. I love to research. And so I'm learning all this researching and, and really in my mind, convincing myself that I have some sort of control over my health. In a way that i don't yes i do have some control but i don't have ultimate control right and so i think you can kind of start to convince yourself that you can become this ideal health you know picture of ideal health if you will by doing all these things and then i would do all the things and just end up frustrated at the end of at the end of the two weeks or the seven weeks or, or whatever the plan was, because I wasn't what I wanted to be, and um, and yeah, and then comparing myself to others, right? Like looking around and saying, "Well, hey, that." Like that protocol worked for her and look at what happened to her body when she did that protocol. And I'm doing the protocol and I'm still exhausted and I'm just hangry all the time. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of chasing better in the health community and it's, it's good, right? Like it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to be healthier and, and doing things that are wise for our bodies. Nothing wrong with that at all. But at the end of the day, we have to kind of make a decision like, how much of my life do I put into this? Is my life become chasing a healthier me? And is that really life? (laughs) Is is that what life's all about?
0: Yeah, and and then you factor in, you know, a, a lot of the people I've been speaking to recently, they talk about how stress, how emotional stress can trigger a lot of these autoimmune conditions. And so if we are so stressed about what we're eating and eating perfectly, we're probably just gonna, end up canceling out anything that we're doing anyway right and so again it has to do with a heart issue and getting to the root of our motivation and then also you factor in right like a lot of times we do these and we've talked about this before we, we do these nutrition plans i don't want to say diet but we do like a nutrition overhaul for health reasons and then it turns into a diet because it's like well wait a minute I'm doing all these great things for my body. Why, why is my body not changing? (laughs) And, and that gets really frustrating
1: right? And then what happens when it doesn't work? Well, you go off it, right? (laughs) Because like, I think a lot of us have a dieters mindset. And even though we go into it with the right motives, like I just want to be healthier. Like I want to do what's good for, in my case, like I want to do what's good for my thyroid. I want to do what's good for my immune system. But when you like, you follow their plan for a couple of weeks and if there's no change, it's like, forget this. Right i'm done because we go with what we can see right or how we feel but you know what we results we can see i can't really see my thyroid changing
0: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah so another good point that you bring up in the book i'd love to talk about is is what does it do to our health then along these lines when we refuse to be thankful and grateful and how how what can we do to look at life as grace-filled instead of Mm -hmm. continuing to chase this perfect health ideal.
1: Yeah. Well, so let me back up just a little bit, because I think one of the most interesting things I found when I was writing the book was how comparison- Actually, changes our neural pathways. Uh, in fact, one of the studies I found showed how people with chronic health conditions who compared their condition to the condition of another actually got worse in their own condition. And I think it could, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe that the study was actually of cancer patients. So, mm. cancer patients that went in for their treatment and saw like their friend getting better while their prognosis was getting worse, their prognosis continued to get worse. Um, and, and so I, I think that's just a fascinating, right? That our bodies have that kind of capacity. And that's like you said, the stress, right? Our bodies have that kind of capacity to, um, to process comparison in a way that is so negative. And so then to your question, um, <laughs> which completely left me there for a second, <laughs>
0: so what what it does to our health when we aren't being grateful
1: and, right and right so yeah. so yeah so so when we are being grateful, what that does to our brain is it opens up new neural pathways right like like zillions, zillions is not a very scientific word, forgive me, (laughs) but there are so many studies. I mean, I only cited a few because it was study after study after study on what gratitude does to the brain. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal what being thankful can actually do for your brain. In fact, another study that, um, that I cited in the book was how, uh, people who had been paralyzed in an auto accident but practiced gratitude were actually happier than people who had won the lottery. I mean, it doesn't seem like you're comparing apples to apples there, but they had them all in the same study, and I mean, you can have it all, but if you're not grateful for it, you are still going to be miserable, and so practicing gratitude, and I really think this is something that I I know you do when we do our refocus group, just encouraging people to be mindful and grateful for what they have every day, just even health wise. Right, like, or even when you sit down to eat, like, thank you, God. I, that I, you know, I, I, I believe God is is the biggest grace giver and and really giver of blessings in my life. But like, thank you, God, for this food. Thank you, God, for this body that you've given me. It may not be perfect. It may not look like it belongs on the cover of a magazine. It may have some health issues. But thank you, God, that I can walk and I can move and I can you know do what I need to do every day. And you know, just being grateful for. What we have, what a difference that makes in our attitude. And then, and then quite literally what a difference that makes in our brain.
0: It's really amazing. I love that. And that's something it's funny, even I will say way back in March, which feels like 10 years ago, but way back in March of 2020, um, when we were told to stay inside and school is out, you know, and all of that, I was already doing my own lent discipline of it before I even opened my phone or anything else I was going to read some words of truth Mm -hmm. and I was going to read some scripture and that was how I was going to start my day and that was kind of this discipline that I was developing and it really kept me a lot more positive during this that whole craziness that hit back in March when it's like oh my gosh in New York we have all all of these people are dying. And like, is it going to hit here? What's going to happen? All these what ifs, right? It really got me through. And then at some point I just kind of got out of the habit this summer Mm -hmm. and I just got lazy and started picking up my phone first and putting it off. And it is amazing. It's like a complete change when I am not focused on truth and not, and that was the other thing. I was doing a gratitude list every day, first thing. Mm -hmm. And when I don't do that, it's, I was just telling my husband last night, actually, it's, it's magic when I do. And when I don't, it completely changes my mood and the way I see the world. And I, and I, and the way I see my body, obviously, cause that's always going to be a struggle for me, but the way I see anything that I do, I give myself so much more grace when I'm grateful. And that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. You know what, actually, when I talk to people, talk to women specifically with marriage issues, you know, the first thing I asked them to do is I ask them to write down five things they appreciate about their husband every single day. And it, it changes the way if you're having marital conflict. And I think a lot of people are mm-hmm. after COVID, right. Yep. But it changes your perspective on other people. So if there's someone like, maybe you're not married. If there's someone, your roommate, I mean, I've, I've done this with roommates too, Quite frankly, I remember as I was single until I was thirty-one, so I had a lot of roommates over the years. And I remember just you know certain things that you just get really frustrated with. But if I would stop and think about what I was thankful for with that roommate every time, my perspective, my heart started to soften towards them, and my perspective started to change, and we started to get along better. So it it it, with your children, um it works works with them too. I mean, it, it is amazing the impact that something as simple as gratitude has on. Every relationship and every aspect of our
0: life yeah well, and we're still you know we 're not out of the woods with all things covid and there's still a lot going on and there's still a lot of people out of out of work, you know, and kind of there are a lot of people in the pit and even struggling with mental health issues and it's so easy to look going back to social media we we look at what people are doing, and some people are still working, and some people are still traveling even like there are people that are going out and camping and it's really easy to get caught up in, Oh, well, must be nice to have the money to do that right now or must be nice to have the flexibility to, you you know, like it's so easy to get caught up in that. So what what are some other ways, what are some other tools that you, you share to to get out of this mindset of, Oh, I, I need to be this, do this be better, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing that came to mind when you're just talking and, and this isn't in the book specifically, but just how the difference between gratitude and the power of positive thinking. Okay. So the power of positive thinking has been around for a while. Right. But but gratitude isn't positivity <laughs> necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times when we think about the power of positive thinking, we're thinking about like I statements, like I am this, and or you know that old SNL skit, like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn people like me or whatever um, what that character was. But but it's it's really I would say the key is getting our mind off of ourselves is is a pathway to freedom that. That you don't hear a lot about in culture, right? Like the cure to everything is just love yourself more. But what happens when we love ourselves more is that oftentimes empowers us to love others around us less, right? Because then what I want is most important and my perspective is most important. And I mean, everything for everything we fight about on facebook i mean if we applied the think of others first or or you know love others first like how would that change our our discourse i mean it, it really would so so you know just just getting our minds off ourselves is is one huge way to, to feel freer. Um, not, not meaning that we ignore ourselves or don't take care of ourselves or, you know, not taking it to the extreme at all. But I do think a lot of times, especially if we have free time, we get to choose what we think about. We get to choose what keeps our idle minds busy. Right. And so our default is always thinking about ourselves. And so it does take some intentionality to think about others, but how much happier we are when we spend that idle time making a gratitude list or thinking, you know what, how could I encourage that friend of mine that like seemed really down? Could I send, you know, send her an encouraging text or who haven't I reached out to that might be alone during COVID? I mean, I've got single friends that have been by themselves this whole time and just like stopping and being mindful of, instead of just being mindful of myself, being mindful of them and how I can encourage them. And I tell you, a couple of those messages <laughs> during that idle time, like that, that picks you up, even though it's not me thinking about me and how it can make me more awesome. Um, reaching out is really what, um, what lifts your own spirit and really helps, helps you find encouragement.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I recently, I wish I could remember what podcast it was on, what it was called and who was talking have no clue, but I did hear, um, about a study having to do with generosity and people who are more service oriented and they are the happiest people on the planet Mm -hmm. because they are spending their time thinking of other people. And that is so true because we spend a lot of time on self-improvement. And I, you know, part of that is, I I don't want to blame everything on social media, but (laughs) I'm kind of, it's things were different 15 years ago, right? Like, because we couldn't see what everybody else was doing. And so we do spend a lot of time on self-improvement and whether it's constantly redecorating to have, to make our home look more hospitable, right. Or to make our homes look better for social or whatever for our kids, or we're buying more things for our kids because we want even them to be better, right? Like we want them to have, so, and then we feel like we're a better parent or same with clothes. Like I thought, you know, recently, I'm not really buying a lot of clothes. I'm not really going a lot of places still. And I wanted to get a different style of jeans because I I think like straight leg is back a little bit more. I don't know, I'm not a big, a big fashion person, but I have like all skinny jeans in my closet and my skinny jeans are a little too skinny for me right now. So (laughs) I was trying to find something that was a little roomier, maybe that kind of that vintage look, whatever but then i'm like i had to stop i have them sitting i got them i have them sitting in my closet i'm like i don't first of all i don't have anywhere to wear them and i don't know what i just accomplished for myself what so i'm more stylish now when i'm mm-hmm. sitting on zoom recording podcasts mm-hmm. like i don't know like anyway so i just <laughs> we do no, i wait, think a lot about myself we think a lot about ourselves as people you know
1: well yeah and and like you said like 15 years ago the amount of opportunities i had to compare myself to you were limited to, if you invite me to your home, then I can see what you have for dinner and I can see how your kitchen looks, right? Um, maybe if I run into you somewhere, I can see what you're wearing, how cute you're dressed. But like that only, you know, you only have to pull that off a couple times. <laughs> right like that can assume like you're dressed up when I see you out but if you post a picture of yourself looking ultra glamorous in your new jeans by this gourmet dinner that you made in your newly decorated redone kitchen like like I, I have the opportunity to see all that from you know from anywhere anytime and it's just constantly the opportunity to compare you know compare compare every detail of my life to yours. And it's just, it's not helpful.
0: And you touched on something there. That's also inf- interesting is that we are on information overload too. Mm-hmm. And I recently, th- I interviewed, um, the founder of same here, the global mental health movement a-, a few weeks ago, and I follow them on Instagram and they recently posted today in a Western city, the average person is exposed to as much information in a single day as someone in the 15th century would be in their entire lifetime. Wow. So That's amazing. How does that impact this whole need for the Urs to be better, yeah. healthier, smarter, all yeah. of that?
1: Well, and then I'm also just thinking like, like, I think we were designed to be embodied beings. This is something I've been kind of percolating over a while. Like, right. I believe that God was God created us in a body for a reason. And the reason was that was how we would experience life, right? We would experience it with our, our senses, right? Taste, smell, see, hear, touch. And that's one distinction between ourselves and, and God, right? God is, he can be everywhere at once and he can see everything and he can know everything. But now that we can live this unembodied life on social media, like we actually get to be a little bit more godlike. Uh, like <laughs> because we think we are seeing everything and knowing everything. And I just, I have to feel like that places an additional stress burden on us as well. Like there's way too much for us to be able to process in a healthy way because we're not God, (laughs) right? And, And then like, and we only, you know, we, we come to conclusions like we only know so much, right? Like I see you dressed up beside your fancy dinner plate in your redone kitchen. And I think, oh, Aaron must always make that for dinner. Aaron must always just wear that around the house. And then I look down at my yoga pants and my ready tank top without makeup on and my hair that's been in the same messy bun for (laughs) four days. And I'm like, boy, like I'm no good. And yet it's just, we, we make all these assumptions and then and then i think the next part is what's even most dangerous we make those assumptions and then we decide okay i need to be better right like it's not we don't we don't take stephen vertex advice we don't stop and say oh that's her highlights real we instead think okay woman, well, i need to make changes this information is causing me <laughs> to need to make changes so i can keep up and at a certain point, we don't even know what we're keeping up with anymore. There's too much to keep up, with, quite frankly, yeah. and it's just an impossible task. Like I said, you you can't keep up because there's just there's no t- there's no top run. There's there's no end to the keeping up. Uh, it just it's an exercise in futility.
0: Yeah, it's and it, yeah, you're right. It's just like an endless loop that happens because there's always. Another way to be better. You know, I think for a while I was doing my yoga thing. I still love my yoga thing, but it's like, well, I'm gonna do all these cool poses, you know? And then now, then I started seeing people doing all the weights, like the really heavy weights, and the girls that are getting real ripped up. I'm like, well, gosh, that, you know, that improves insulin sensitivity and, and there are a lot of, you know, I'm I'm going to lose all this muscle mass because I'm entering my late thirties. I guess I better start doing the weights, you know? Well, okay. Oh, well, my friend's doing a triathlon. Maybe I should try that. So we do that. That's just a physical fitness example, but I think we do that a lot, even with, again, home decor. I'm thinking about some of these other other examples, kids and kids' activities. Like, there are all sorts of crazy things that we could put our kids in right now. You know, martial arts is a really big one that I'm seeing. I'm like, well, should I have my kids in martial arts? Should they be a black belt in something by the time they're 10? It's never ending.
1: Yeah. I, I got to take a kid to boxing here in a couple of
0: minutes. Ooh, okay. But, but I will now tell I... you
1: what, what's funny about that is there are like 30 belts. Wow. <laughs> so, and it's so funny because I'm thinking. You know, I like to think about things from kind of a marketing business perspective. And I'm like, this is genius. He gets a new belt every two months. And that's a motivator, right? Because two months is fast enough where you feel like you're making progress. And I'm like, it's a genius marketing strategy, and I'm paying forty bucks every time. I, get it.
0: Wonder, if, I wonder if I could do that for health coaching, right? Like, you no. like made it to level one of fifty,
1: and but you know what's funny though? I actually, so it's a that's a perfect segue into something I talk about in my book, though, right? Like, we are video game programmed. I mean, yeah. I, so when I was growing up, like, we only had Atari, but even on my Atari like you learn that level two comes after level one and you know the ideal is to get to you know the top level and that's how we live right like we want to live going from level to level to level and i don't think that that's how we were designed <laughs> like that's that's how our cultures tried to program us but i don't think that's how we were designed like life is really circular like we go around and around the same things in different ways over and over again life is not this linear you know step 1 step 2 step 3 kind of pathway like we we take we take roads forward and then we do a u turn and head back and then go yeah. off to the side like life is this windy road full of lots of different experiences and to try to put life into a video game climbing format, it's frustrating, first of all, but it really cheats what what life is about.
0: Yeah, it does. And you mentioned that even in your book, talking about getting your first book published and how like that was a moment, that was a big moment for you. Like that was what you wanted to happen and it happened. And then, well,
1: and then I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah. Because it's like this isn't any fun like it's, and really like honestly Erin, it was like this didn't make me feel like I thought it was going to make me feel huh. and mm-hmm. really it would be the big irony is I've written a whole book on how getting the body what won't make you feel like you think it will make you feel <laughs> and I had to learn that lesson again mm-hmm. with publishing a book just the same lesson just a slightly yep. different nuance um but yeah I mean it And that's, that's the trap. That's the better trap, right? Like I remember sitting in a conference of writers several years before my first book was published and it was a New York times bestselling author who stood up on stage and confessed that he was ready to commit suicide when his like 18th book only hit like number four spot on the New York times bestseller list because he had been working his way up and he wanted to get to one, and when they only hit number four, he was despairing. Mm-hmm. Now, as someone who can <laughs> barely make it into Amazon's <laughs> top 10 category, you know, I'm looking at him like, dude, are you serious? Like, that's a little ridiculous, But. It's the way, it's the way it works, right? Like, like we, there's always something better. And until we can recognize that all these different betters we chase are not going to satisfy us ultimately, like we're going to continue to be frustrated. I mean, and and having a better home doesn't satisfy. Uh, I use one illustration in my book about why people wear expensive watches. I watched a fascinating little video on this at one point, and, and the guy was talking about why people wear, and by expensive watches, I don't mean like an Apple watch, I mean like a $100,000 watch. And he said, why do people wear these watches? Well, it's easy because they can't carry their yachts around with them. And it's like, what? Like, what does that mean exactly? And he went on to explain that at a certain level of the comparison game, Like you are starting to like, who owns, instead of, it's it's not like who has the nicer house, it's who has like the bigger island. (laughs) And at that level of the comparison game, you can no longer like show off your toys as easily. Um, So you have to have a more expensive watch so people will know your status. And I just thought, how sad is that, right? I mean, but but how many of us think, oh, if I had a mansion and an island and a yacht and a Bugatti and a Porsche in the garage or whatever the hot, I'm not a cars girl, <laughs> whatever the cars, I drive a minivan, um, <laughs> but like if, if I had all that stuff, like then I would just be able to... But that's not the truth. I mean, people over and over again who have achieved fame, achieved wealth, achieved their goals have like demonstrated to us that that's not enough for them. It's not where rest is found. And so, so the big point of this book is: where do we find rest? Where do we find satisfaction? Because it's not in meeting our goals. It's not in becoming the er, the richer, or the prettier, or the you know, funnier, or whatever er or you're chasing. It's not in that. It's in something else. So where, where is that rest hiding?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. And another thing, as, as you're talking about this, do you feel that some of us, even though we know we're not getting that ultimate satisfaction from that next level up? you know we know that, that there's still something addicting about trying again absolutely <laughs> right like i i kind of wonder if there's just this like even the self improvement books or mm-hmm. you know, the diet books or the health books there's always going to be a magic cure for something you know it's and we've talked about that before there's always going to be a new diet but there's always going to be a new way to approach mental health there's going to be a new way to approach autoimmune there's going to be a new there's always and it might be repackaged from the old but it's still going to be new so there's something in us that just keeps, even though we know, we keep on this addictive cycle of trying for more.
1: Yeah, well, like, so in my first book, I talked about chasing unicorns, but you know, like, there, like, we believe that a unicorn exists. I don't. Know, maybe another way to say it is, it's much easier to buy a lottery ticket, buy a winning lottery ticket, than it is to think about like, I'm going to put in my 40 years of hard work. Right, Right? like so. If you have a choice, if I'm like, okay, do you want to put in 40 years of hard work, or do you want a winning lottery ticket that you know you'll retire with the same amount of money you would after 40 years? Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the lottery ticket every time, right? Like I just, I think we are in some ways we're we're geared towards preservation, right? But we're also geared towards, hey, if there's an easier way to do this, I'm going to do it the easy way, and and so yeah, I think easy street looks like reaching all the errs, right? I mean, just even from a body image perspective, right? Like, why do we want a better body? Like, it's not just so we can have a better body. Like a lot of us chase a better body because we think it will get us something else, either more love and attention from like a spouse or significant other, or more appreciation and respect from other women, or, you know, more admiration from, from, you know, people or that parent we can never please. You know, it's, there's, there's another reason why we want it always that's, that's deeper and, Yeah. It seems like that's easy street. It's a lot easier for me to think like, you'll love me more if I can just change this about myself instead of like, let's actually work on a relationship,
0: (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so you're saying, so the easy street way is just to continue to look for that next best thing. So the hard way, (laughs) the hard road is, is the way of of leaning into these things and, and,
1: and what, like, and what, what else? And sometimes asking why I think like for me, I thought if I could publish a book, then I would feel like I've done something successful. Then I've like contributed value to the world. Or, I mean, this isn't pretty to say, but like then people will respect me, right? Then maybe, maybe people will think I am someone important or someone successful. And not that any of those things are front of mind at all, right? They're not. But I think if you stop chasing the errors and you kind of sit in it for a little while, you can always figure out, like, this has something to do with my value. This has something to do with my identity. This has something to do with me wanting you to think I am something. And, and, and that's a tough spot to be in, right? That's uncomfortable to sit and think about those questions. But ultimately at the end of the day, we all have to figure out where our identity and where our value comes from. And, and for me, my wrestling match has been, I believe my identity comes from, from Jesus. Like I'm a follower of Jesus. And so sitting in that and and asking myself a hard question as a Christian, okay, I say that my identity comes from him. But does it or am I actually trying to make my identity come from being a successful author or having a podcast or, you know, having this many followers or or having this like, look, (laughs) you know, all of those other things we try to drive identity from. And, And I think at the end of the day, they're they're tiring pursuits because that's not what actually defines us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And getting into that identity piece. It's finding our identity outside of something that, that we feel defines our worth. Because I know I'm really bad about that. Um, but it's finding our identity in something outside of ourselves.
1: Right, right. So I, So this is embarrassing to confess, but my bio used to say I was a fitness instructor. I was for 15 years, but I taught two classes a week. So it was two hours out of my life every week. And I had a friend stop me and say, why do you have fitness instructor in your bio? That's like two hours out of your life. And I was like, well, because it's important for people to know that I'm a fitness instructor. And she's like, no, it's not. And it was so convicting for me because I was like, she's right. Like out of however many, I'm not good with math, out of however many hours I have in a week two of them are spent being a fitness instructor. And that was like, you know, the third thing I had to find myself. And why? Well, because I wanted you to think of me as someone who was in shape when I taught Mm -hmm. fitness classes. I wanted you to think of me as the gym girl. Like I wanted you to think like good things about my physical fitness and that's why it was in there. And it was, it was a false source of identity. And then once my health crashed and my adrenals went Wacko and I had to give up teaching altogether. What happened to that aspect of my identity? Boom, it was gone. Right. And all I was doing was laying around trying to help my adrenals recover. And, and part of my identity disappears in all that. And that's and that's what I think is is the important thing to remember about basing our identity in these things we do, they can disappear in a flash. And so if that's where our identity is based, your identity is based in your job and you lose it, boom. If your identity is based in your marriage, and it goes awry. <laughs> if your identity is based in your home, and you know you lose everything. I mean, there's there's so many different places we try to base our identity, and they don't last. And so, so finding a more solid place to root our identities is is ultimately so important.
0: Yeah, and and you bring up a really good point there too. And even I how we identify ourselves with ourselves of the past or with ourselves or who we want. You know, you mentioned that in the book that I think is so good because I've said this to you before, like, I mean, I don't always compare myself to other people, but I can compare myself to me. (laughs) I compare myself to who I was 10 years ago, what I looked like 10 years ago, right. Or what I was accomplishing then, or how my skin was back then. Um, And and so let's talk about where you go there in the book, because that, that segues really well into that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is a big trap for a lot of women. And I, like you said, I have a lot of women that say to me, I don't compare myself to other people. I just compare myself to the me I want to be. And that sounds fine. Uh, on the surface. But the problem is, well, first of all, like when you're comparing yourself to who you used to be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, like, like you're really being as unfair as someone who is looking at the magazine Photoshopped picture and comparing yourself to the 17 year old Photoshopped model. I mean, that's how, how unfair you are being to yourself. It's just, it's really not a gracious way to treat yourself when you're doing it that way. Right. And then, and then just thinking about it like one step further. So like my grandmother just passed away a few weeks ago, she was 92 years old and she still used wrinkle cream. But, but as I look at my grandmother, I think, why would she use wrinkle cream? Right. You're 92 years old, you know, like, but, but if I think about it from her perspective, well, thinking about her even further, it's like, why would she compare herself to someone in their sixties or seventies or fifties who doesn't have wrinkles? Like, that's ridiculous, right? I expect my ninety two year old grandmother to look like a ninety two year old grandmother right, but then when it comes to ourselves we, we're just we twist all that around and we have a completely different set of expectations and and what I like to call ideals, which I think are really idols for ourselves, right like we set up these ideals for ourselves, and we think if I could just be that, then I would. Be happy with myself but it never actually works right because like we've already established there's always something more you can do this or something better but but these ideals they just keep us trapped and they keep us stuck feeling like a failure most of the time I mean for me like I was gonna be the ideal mom Erin like I was gonna be awesome like, my kids were going to eat organic food. Um, they were not going to eat dinosaur chicken nuggets from Costco. No way. I was going to make them, like, homemade organic chicken nuggets, all the things, right? Like, I can't make a chicken nugget just in real life. And I really don't have time or any, any intention to make them homemade chicken nuggets. Why would I do that? They come in a freezer bag. Um, but all these things that we expect, right like all these these pressures we put on ourselves to to be this certain ideal I think you have to stop and you say where did that come from exactly and I think when we pull it all back we pull all those layers back of where that came from a lot of it came from comparison just before we were aware that we were comparing right like before I was even a mom I would look at other moms and I would kind of judge, right? Like, oh, she's doing that. Not, I'll never do that. I mean, like we, so we get, or or from marketing, right? Like, you know, the messages we get, like, don't feed your child this, feed your child this. And, you know, so we, it's, we say our ideals don't really come from comparison, but I think when we peel back all the layers, they really do. And ultimately, those ideals, they're just, they just keep us stuck. They, they really, they really keep us from being able to be grateful for for the lives we have and the blessings that we have in this life.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I um, recently, this is we're running out of time, but I will tell this quick story because it's just so weird. Sometimes I have dreams that like speak to me. I know that sounds woo woo, but I ha- I was in this weird half dream like dream like state, and somewhere in this weird dream like state, this is gosh, a couple months ago, I I heard the number. 2017. Like I needed to go back and look at pictures from 2017, hmm. and I'm like, that's so. I woke up the next day. I'm like, is that something I'm really supposed to do, or is that like just a weird dream that I had? That's uh-huh. weird. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look back at pictures from 2017. So I started looking back through my phone because I have like 50,000 pictures on my phone. So I've got all the years. Um, I, <laughs> I looked back at that year 2017, and that's when I had a 13 year old who was really struggling. I had a three-year-old who, gosh, he had to get his tonsils out and his adenoids removed all the stuff at once and would not be potty trained for anything. And then I had a baby who was on antibiotics every month, who I've I've talked about on this podcast before, because he's really kind of what drove me into (laughs) the the health that I'm in now, the health world that I'm in now. But it, it was a really hard year. But in looking at the pictures, all I saw was how beautiful that year was and i saw my baby smiling and i saw him taking his first steps and i saw all of these really sweet moments and i saw myself like you know i would take these pictures with my kids when i didn't have makeup on and i was probably still sweaty for my yoga class and i you know but i it, we looked like we were just having the best time and my kids were little and looking back i'm like oh, those were good times but i also know those were really hard times. Those were really hard times. And so there was something about looking at those pictures and seeing both sides. So instead of idealizing, (laughs) because I do often do that, you know, like I look back and I'm like, oh, remember when life was so simple and we just did this and now things are so complicated, things have gotten so hard. And so instead of just doing that, like I was looking at, that was probably the hardest year we had had in all of our marriage because, but we also blew out our savings on all of these surgeries and house things that happened. Like, I mean, it was a hard year, but it was a beautiful year and I made it through and it it was great. So anyway, all that to say that there's something about trying to find that, I don't even know really where I'm going with this, but something you said triggered that now I'm not, I'm not remembering, but um, something about like, instead of idealizing, finding that, look at where I am right now and look at, I, I guess it goes back to the gratitude and what yeah. I'm learning right now and where my kids are and the stage that they're at as hard as it is, it's going to be gone in an instant, you know? Right. So,
1: right. Well, and just thinking about the way our brains work, right? Like I, I remember reading this study that the reason why women can go have another child is because they forget the pain of birth, right? Like our body blocks that out. Our mind does rather totally. like, we don't remember <laughs> how, I mean, I had C-section, so I don't remember. I didn't feel anything <laughs> uh, not by choice but but i had to have c-sections so but but i mean our, our mind blocks out the pain so we will do it again and i think when we look back at ourselves 10 years ago we don't remember the pain like, we just remember, you know, what we want to remember, the, the good things, right? And so it's, it's just not fair, it's not accurate to look back and say, oh, I wish I was that. Well, you know, when you were that, there was a lot of other things going on too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then, and then just even, even as you look forward to think, like, how odd would it be for me at age 70 to look the same as I did at age 30? It would just be odd. <laughs> right? Like everyone wants that. We want to be anti-aging, but if you really stop and think about it, how weird would that be? It'd be hard to relate to other people who were your age if you looked like you were 40 years younger. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like we, we age for a reason. Um, and, you know, to just to, dis- to despise that is is not always healthy or wise, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... I know it's just so interesting and it's it's so like we have these conversations and we, we spoke whenever it was December January and and some of this we, we probably said in a different version before but but that's because it's so ever-present and it's so needed and these conversations need to be had and Heather's book needs to be out there book book number two needs to be out there um, and so where can people get the book obviously Amazon right
1: You can get it everywhere books are sold online, Amazon, uh, Walmart.com, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you like to buy your books online, you can find it. Or you can go to my website, comparedtoyou.me, and I've got direct links there. And I'm also doing a couple fun um, giveaways, some downloads. If if you want some bonuses for ordering uh, in the next couple of months, they'll be there too.
0: Awesome, I'm excited. I know that there's a really awesome shirt available. Um, Is that part of the giveaway?
1: it, it will, i'm doing a party to give those away i'm not sure if we'll make it before this broadcast is aired <laughs> whoops okay just kidding
0: i'll wear what the about? shirt and you guys nobody else can uh, <laughs> i'll be better than you
1: <laughs> that's somehow defeats the purpose here and then what about refocus are we going to talk about refocus
0: refocus we are going to do another round of refocus here um in a few weeks we're going to start October, I think we said 19th. Is that right? So, yes. 19th. Stay tuned. Check out on, on, he- you can see on Heather's website, I'll put it in the show notes or on my website. Um, but Heather's website, like she said, is compared to who.me. Um, so you can find out all the information there, but refocus. Do you want to say anything else about refocus and what it is?
1: You know, we just have a really good time in refocus, helping women refocus, uh. <laughs> but, but really helping helping women get, you do a great job with the nutrition side of things, helping women rethink the way they think about food and kind of overcome the diet culture and being more mindful in what they eat. And I kind of talk about the body image side of things. Like, okay, it's one thing to get your food straight, but how do you feel about the way you look? And so together, I think it's just like a one-two punch to help kind of turn you around if you're really stuck in a place where you're like, okay, I'm on my 77th diet. And, or maybe I've given up diets altogether, but I'm still not happy with the way I look. What do I do? I think refocus is the program to help you, you know, get started on a new path. That's really what we want want to help
0: women. Yeah. And it just, and it really does tackle those deeper issues. Like we've been talking about where it's not about like, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds. And I'm going to do it in these two weeks. It's about why do you want to lose 10 pounds? And what is that okay. going to accomplish for you if you lose weight? So what is this really about? Is this really about weight or is there something inside that maybe you need to refocus on and, mm-hmm. and think through? And so I love, I love all the wisdom that Heather shares in the group. Um, obviously I'm a big fan of the information I share in the group. <laughs> I, you know, it's just, it's good, just regular, how to add simple nutrition into your, into your life. Um, but I think we make a good team and we've had people come out of that group saying, please do it again, mm-hmm. please do it longer, make it bigger. And we've got a lot of information in there, so I don't even know how we could do that. Um, but if you're interested in that, check the show notes, there will be information on that on Heather's page compared to who me as well as my website, sparkingwholeness.com. So you can find out how to join. And um, this has been really awesome. So thank you so much for for being on the show and for offering all of your thoughts and wisdom and knowledge.
1: Thank you. Fun to talk to you as always, Erin.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.